Welcome back. For those of you who were here last week, and for those of you who are new, which I just met a couple, I am a, I'm not Grady Root. My name is Trevor, and uh, Grady asked me to fill in for him for a couple weeks because he was out of town getting a little rest. And so it's been my joy to be here. And let's pray together first, and then we'll dive in. Lord, my prayer this morning is simple but powerful. Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by your word. The apostle John said that he had no greater joy than to see his little children walking in the truth. Lord, I just pray that we would understand the joy and the power that we have in Christ through faith as new creations in Christ. And that we would be strengthened with great joy to walk in the power and the hope that we have in the gospel in this life now, bearing good fruit and, Lord, eagerly waiting to either return home or have Christ come back. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us that our hearts would be filled with your word this morning. Your word is what changes us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. So help us to see the word and that we would be transformed by it. We just bless your great name that we can meet, and we thank you so much for your abounding grace. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, for those of you who were here, we talked about regeneration, John chapter 3, what it means to be born again. And in the book of Genesis, it tells us that God created all things good. Literally, he made all things, all of creation that we experience and see what science marvels at. God made it all. And he specifically made us human beings, and he said that he made us very good. And he specifically made us in his image, and it was a joy. The Garden of Eden, if you've read the book of Genesis, it was beautiful. We had fruit-bearing plants in abundance. Creatures roamed the earth in harmony. We weren't being eaten by grizzly bears or sharks. It was good. But then something bad happened. Something bad happened. Human beings, we fell into sin. We plunged into darkness. And when that happened, God already had a plan. He already had a plan to redeem. We just read, or we just sang a song about redemption. God had a plan to redeem the human race from our brokenness, from our darkness, from our sin. But not only us, but God was actually going to restore all of creation unto himself in Christ. And this plan carries itself out in what is known as the gospel or the good news. And the good news is simple. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this gospel, we learned last week, when we believe this gospel, something happens to us. We enter into God's kingdom through new birth, and then we receive benefits. We receive benefits, lots of benefits, by believing this gospel. Now, most central is the benefit of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And what that simply means is that when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sin on himself and he forgave us all of our sins And thus, by removing our sin from us and placing it on Jesus, satisfying his judgment, he declared us to be righteous before him. 
righteous. We have no sin before God, as if we never sinned. And this is indeed good news for sure. But in my experience, both in my own personal Christian walk and my interaction with many Christians and sermons and Bible conferences and blog posts and books, is that I think most Christians almost only focus on justification as their hope and their joy for this life. I hear it a lot when Christians struggle with sin, we fall into sin, when life's struggles and hardships come, that most people speak about how we've been justified before God, and they find great hope in that. But I think that a lot of Christians almost only find their hope in that their sins have been forgiven. It's almost the idea that Christ came to forgive our sin, left us here in a state of absolute brokenness and inability to have joy and be pleasing to him, and then one day he's going to come back and then everything will be made perfect. And so a lot of Christians, I think, live this pilgrimage, this current life with great despair at times, with a lack of zeal, with a lack of good fruit coming forth from their life. And I think the reason for that is because a lot of us don't have a good idea of what sanctification is. And so today's sermon, we are going to look at the doctrine of sanctification. That is that when Christ saves sinners, he not only forgives us, but he makes us something entirely new in Christ. And the goal for this sermon this morning is truly your gospel joy, your gospel power against remaining sin, to walk the Christian life victorious in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at three main points of sanctification. Number one, we're going to look at what I call positional sanctification. And not only I, but others as well. Positional sanctification. Number two, this morning, we are going to look at final sanctification. And then lastly, and seemingly kind of out of order, we're going to look at our practical sanctification, our current sanctification. We are going to be jumping through a lot of scripture this morning. You don't have to turn to all these passages, but one passage I do want you to turn to that we're going to look at in a little bit towards the end of the sermon is John chapter 15, so you can go ahead and open there if you want to be ready for that. And if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible in your hand this morning. There's no shame if you don't have one. Maybe you even forgot yours at home. You don't have a phone. We have some extra Bibles in the back. And Aaron, if you raise your hand, he can put one in in your lap. And you can follow along with us this morning. I hope that you will see that we are going to be deriving everything that I'm talking about from God's Word. At Maricopa Springs, if you come here regularly, it's the practice of the church to preach through books of the Bible, expository preaching, not just picking and choosing different things and running with it, but today we are doing a topical sermon, but I I hope you'll find that there's a lot of scripture here and that this is rooted in God's word so that you could go back later and listen and look some of these up yourself. So point number one, positional sanctification otherwise known as regeneration or becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified is the Greek word hagios, which means to be set apart, to be set apart. We get the word holy, holiness, holy ones. And the Bible 
the Bible consistently calls believers in Jesus Christ saints. That's the same word as holy ones, those who are set apart in Christ Jesus. And this is foundational for us if we are going to walk the Christian life with joy and power to realize that when we believed in Jesus, a transaction took place that not only were our sins forgiven and we were justified, but God declared us to become something new. He made us holy. He set us apart unto himself. This is called union with Christ, if you read certain theology books. The idea that when we believed in Jesus, we were unified to Christ by faith, and we now receive a new life in him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, a very popular verse, the Apostle Paul says this about his union with Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's important to note that when we look to the cross of Christ, and we see Jesus suffering for our sins, justifying us before God, it's important that we also see that our old self was crucified with Christ at that cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Christ. When we were born again, we died. A death took place. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bring life. And so, when we became new, when we became born again, the process was that we died in order to become new. Our old self was crucified with Jesus, and we became a new creature in him. I know for my own Christian walk, it took years for me to really understand or start to understand this reality, that when God saved me, he made me a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very famous passage actually about justification, says this though about our positional sanctification. He says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is vital, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is huge that we see that there was a significant departure from what we once were, just like a butterfly once was a caterpillar, so the Christian once was enslaved to sin is now a slave of righteousness. Fundamentally, we need to know that when we believed in Christ, our nature changed. Our nature changed. In just a little bit, we will talk about practical sanctification, and we will find that our old nature, our immaterial self, still has a residue that affects our life in a variety of ways, in many ways. But fundamentally, our nature before Jesus Christ, and we looked at this a little bit last week, was darkness. We did not love the things that God loved. We did not think about the things that God thinks about. We were by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath or destruction, 
But God changed our nature. We saw this last week in Ezekiel where Jesus alluded to being born of the Spirit and of water to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he meant by that is that we need to be internally washed. And he talks about how God was going to give his people a new heart, a heart that loves him, that has desires for him, that follows his ways. And I think, brothers and sisters, that a lot of Christians don't realize this, and they're actually living their Christian life trying to earn their way to obedience, trying to pull up their bootstraps to put sin to death. When in fact, we need to just look in the mirror and see that Christ has made us new, that our nature is now born of him, and that we actually can walk in newness of life. This gives us a new relationship with sin. A new relationship with sin. It is a, it is a, a fraud for somebody to say, I have believed in Christ, and yet their life has not changed in their relationship with sin. Many people say this. Yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus of some kind. I believe in the Bible of some kind. But their life relationship with sin is the same. They're staying metaphorically, I guess you can say, in bed with their old lover, their sin. They have not abandoned it and turned away from it. But when we come to Christ, our relationship with sin does change. It does change. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If, actually, if you have a Bible flip there, I do want you to see this one. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. My wife and I just took the kids up to Sedona on Friday to go to Slide Rock, which was awesome. Um, but that morning I woke up and I went to the Gospel Coalition And on the front page, there was a blog post about a man who used to live a homosexual lifestyle and now has turned to Christ. And as I was reading through this blog post, Kelsey and I were driving up to Sedona. We were reading it together. He makes the statement in there that to identify as a gay Christian is completely at odds with what it means to be a child of God. And he goes on to talk about how our relationship with sin is such that even if we lived a homosexual lifestyle or we were indulged in all sorts of sexual immorality, greed, pride, whatever the list of sins are, that when we come to Christ, we don't carry that as our identity any longer. There's no such thing as an arrogant Christian by nature. There's no such thing as a gay Christian by nature. That does not exist. And 1 Corinthians points this out, I think, the most clearly for us. Paul is writing the church of Corinth, and indeed there's sin that needs to be addressed. But listen to what he says, starting in verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral person, nor no idolaters, no adulterers, nor males who practice homosexuality, no thieves, No greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people, no swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now that's just like a short list, but that should cause us to go, yeah, we're all included in that in one way, shape, or form. So nobody who lives like this, who has a consistent lifestyle like that, whose nature encompasses that, will enter God's kingdom. But then listen to what he says. This is good news. And some of you were like this, or and such were some of you. 
But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is good news if you're here this morning in Christ. Not only has he justified you, which we see here, but he has sanctified you if you were in Christ. He has washed our sins away. He has set us apart unto himself. Our nature has become something altogether new in our Lord. This is our gospel identity. Our gospel identity. We're not defined by what we used to be, our past position of darkness. We are now defined by our newness of life. We indeed are hagios. We are holy ones in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10.14, the author of Hebrews is writing about the sufficiency of Christ's finished work on the cross. And he says this, he says, for by one offering, that is Jesus going to Calvary, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Positionally, it's what we are. And in 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John writes this, Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because the seed of God abides or remains in that person. And they are not able to sin because they have been born of God. Now, this is a good verse to transition us into our final sanctification because it's clear experientially and biblically that we still do sin. We still do sin. But what John is getting at here, what God is getting at here through the Spirit, through the Apostle John, is very comforting for us if we are in Christ this morning in our battle towards sin. And that is this. If you are in Christ, the seed of Christ abides in you. And you cannot continue on as a slave of sin. Slave is not your master any longer. It doesn't have dominion over you any longer. If the seed of Christ is in you, brothers and sisters, take encouragement, take heart, because you're going to progress in your battle towards sin. And you do have victory in this battle towards sin. But there is a problem. We still do sin. And so final sanctification is important. So positional sanctification never changes. It never changes. When you believed in Christ, you were put into Christ by faith, you were sanctified. You are new. You are holy. But right now we struggle with sin. And so we need to also look to our final sanctification, which is point number two. This can also be called biblically glorification, to be glorified. And Romans chapter 8, I think, speaks heavily to this. Go to Romans 8. I know I said only John 15, but here's another one. Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 18. Because when God in Christ ordained before the ages began to redeem creation, he intended to do just that, to redeem all things in Jesus. And Romans 8 points us to not only our future relationship to sin to be completely done away with, but it speaks to the fact that all of creation is waiting to be clothed with the same type of new heavens and new earth. Romans 8.18 says this, or starting in verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For all of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves as Christians who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, this is our future hope. This is a concrete reality that one day we will put off this body of sin. We will deal no longer with the war that wages within us to not do the things that God has called us to do, to not be what God has made us to be. And we have to be anchored both to positional sanctification and to our final sanctification tightly if we are going to walk our practical sanctification rightly in this life. A couple things he notes here. We're going to be freed from corruption We're going to obtain freedom as children of God. As children of God. This should spark a lot of joy in you. This should spark a lot of joy in us. That one day things will be different. I know for my Christian walk, I feel like until the last couple years, I didn't think very much about heaven. I didn't think very much about Jesus coming back. I didn't think very much about what that will be and what's going to happen to us. And as I started to really think about these things, as the Spirit of God really started to work in my heart to show me these things, brothers and sisters, the New Testament is almost wholly pointed to this reality of Jesus returning, of our hope in that, and not just hope that we sit around complaining that we're insufficient or that we can't do anything or that we're just broken people, but power to live the Christian life now, bearing much fruit for the glory of God. Romans 8, a little bit further down, look at verse 30. Romans 8, 30. This is commonly referred to among theological circles as the golden chain of redemption. The golden chain of redemption. And the reason why is because this is an unbreakable reality for us who are in Christ. Paul, as he's finishing the first eight chapters of Romans, unloading for us the gospel in all all of its phases, says this about our future or final glorification or sanctification. He says, And those whom God predestined, he also called them. And those whom he called, he also justified them. And those whom he justified, he also glorified them. This is a reality for us now if we are in Christ this morning. Not only have we been justified, but we have been glorified or finally sanctified in Christ Jesus. The old self and all of its facets and all of its facets will be completely shed off and we will enter in to the presence of God where righteousness will dwell forever. Peter talks about this when he says 
But according to his promise, God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In which righteousness dwells. I, there's a lot of darkness in this world. It is absolutely despairing to consider and think about all the evil that takes place in this world, starting with our own sin, but then looking out. But one day, brothers and sisters, this should encourage you that though there is all sorts of heinous wickedness running rampant in this world, one day righteousness will dwell forever, holy. And those who are not in Christ will be taken care of by the judgment of Christ. And those, who, those of us who are in Christ, we will receive final sanctification. Sin will not hinder us any longer. We will have no darkness ever again. No conversation will ever be hindered by selfishness. We will never harm one another. Pride will not exist. We will love one another completely holy as God has called us and intended us to live. This isn't a fairy tale. This is reality. And we need to think about this often so that we can live a productive and fruitful life as followers of Christ. So positional sanctification, this is what we are through faith in Jesus, new creations, new creatures in Christ. Final sanctification, one day we will fully put on a state of complete sinlessness. We will be in the new heavens and new earth. But now we live in our practical sanctification. The idea of something to be practical is the idea of practicing it, right? So for us, the Christian journey is one that is filled or mixed with both obedience and love for Jesus and sin that hinders us in our fruitfulness for the kingdom of Christ. The Christian life is all about ongoing conformity to Jesus. Ongoing conformity to Jesus. For those of us who have been saved, even if it's been a couple years, I'm sure you can look back and go, man, I've changed. As the days get longer and the years continue to stack up, we can look back and be ashamed of what we once were, even as a Christian, that we lacked the love and the obedience of walking in the same way in which Jesus walked. But there is encouragement because we are growing. We are progressively becoming more like Christ, and we should take courage in that, hope in that. John writes this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, this is how we know that if, this is how we know that we know Jesus, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know Jesus and yet does not keep his commands, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. But whoever keeps God's word truly in him, the love of God is made complete or perfect. This is how we know that we know him. The person who says, I'm sorry, this is how we know that we are in him. The one who says, I wrote this wrong. The one who walks as Jesus walks. The one who walks as Jesus walks. So what John is emphasizing here and what we need to consider is that Jesus walked this earth and we should be following his example. You've seen the bracelets. Maybe some of you have one. WWJD, what would Jesus do? We should be thinking about that. Not only what would he do, but what did he do? We have an example, the perfect example of our Lord And as followers of Christ, 
we need to be walking in the same way that Jesus walked. Now, the only way that we can do this is by recognizing, again, that we are a new creation in Christ. It's not a burden for us to follow Jesus because our natural inclination now as a Christian is actually to follow Jesus. How many of you, when you do sin, you're convicted about it, you're broken over it, you can't continue to do it. It's not natural for us any longer to live like we once were. Although I hear Christians all the time talk about how we are inclined and our nature is to always go towards evil. I don't believe that's biblically true. I don't believe that's biblically true. I have already read a numerous amount of scriptures this morning that has or should lead us to not believe that. Our new inclinations are not to always be bent towards sin, but are bent towards Christ. I heard one person talk about the Christian life, the struggle that we have with sin as if there was an invading army that was trying to take over the world and a larger army came in, set up shop, took over, the war's over, but there's these remaining radical soldiers that are off in the fringes. Nobody knows where they're at. They haven't received the news yet that the war is over, that they lost. And they're still trying to fight in battle in these small areas, but they're defeated. That is what the Christian life positionally truly is. This is how we have to think about our sin, not the other way around. That as a Christian, we just have a little bit of ability to obey God, but we are at war and we are under the master of sin. It's not the case. Romans 6. This is probably one of the keynote passages to go to as we engage in this Christian practical life. Because it is a struggle, we need to recognize though that we have a victorious struggle. We have a victorious struggle. Romans 6, 11 through 14, listen to what Paul writes about our Christian relationship to sin and the practical walking out of it. He says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, do not let sin reign in your bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but... Present, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, that is your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under the grace of Christ. A few verses later, he says this. He says, but thanks be to God who... Though you once were slaves of sin, though you once were under enemy lines as a prisoner, he, though you were slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, past tense, set free from sin, you have become a slave of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is our gospel identity. Now, practically, we have been set free from sin. We once lived in that life. We once loved it, but not anymore. We've been set free, and we have become a slave of righteousness, a slave of Christ. 
Now, I haven't done a lot of study about slavery in the Old Testament. My experience of slavery is the wickedness of the American slave trade and all that was in England. So when I hear slave, it's hard for me truly to kind of grasp how that's a good thing. But it is a good thing that we are, we are actually in bondage to Jesus, to righteousness. We can do no other but walk as Jesus walked progressively, not perfectly, In Romans 6.22, Paul continues, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So because we have been set free, the fruit that we are now producing is an ongoing sanctified life in Jesus Christ. Sanctification and the end is eternal life our final state. We fall short many times every day, and we need to confess our sins, brothers and sisters, knowing that Christ has already washed us from them, that he has made us new in himself. We need to remember these realities of the gospel daily. We need to remember these realities. When we do sin Let us not only come to God confessing, seeing the justification that is ours, which is good, and we must not minimize that by any means, but let us continue on and also see that he has washed us and made us new in himself, that we can indeed bear good fruit, that we are children of God, pleasing in his sight. This leads us to John 15, because it's critical as we walk out the Christian life that we understand how this how we bear fruit, how we can be walking a victorious life in Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, please open it up, verse 1. In the Gospel of John, as you read through it, Jesus refers to himself as multiple different imageries relating back to the people of Israel, showing that he is the fulfillment of all, all God's purposes And one of those, Jesus says that he is the vine. He is the vine. And that we are branches. And that a branch can bear no fruit unless it's connected to the vine. This is the Christian life. The idea that we consistently, daily, moment by moment, sometimes it feels like we are struggling to even see this, to cling and abide in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the only one who can cause us to produce any fruit. It's the ongoing remembrance that he has made us something new and he has put us in himself. He has grafted us to himself so that the sustaining life of him, of the gospel, will produce in us a life of fruitfulness. Jesus says in verse 1, I want to read this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and every branch, and he prunes every branch that does produce fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you 
produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. I've prayed this a lot that, Lord, may I have a lot of abundant, low-hanging, thick, juicy fruit in my life. He promises this to be the case for us. Beloved, if you have believed in Jesus, he has promised to bear much fruit in you, and he wants to bear much fruit in your life. It's about abiding in him. It's about treasuring Jesus. I love this one church's kind of overarching statement. They say to follow Jesus is about believing him as Savior. It's about obeying him as Lord, and it's about treasuring him or delighting in him as treasure. Delighting in him as treasure. Brothers and sisters, I think a lot of Christians suffer joy and fruitful gospel living because they don't really treasure Christ how we should. To delight in Jesus, it's the idea of just coming and sitting before the sun and having the sun's rays penetrate your face and just warm you through the morning. The idea of coming to the stream and drinking abundantly, sitting there delighting in the goodness of Jesus. If we are delighting and treasuring in Christ, if we are connected to the vine, sin is going to have a hard time manifesting in our life. The struggle with sin is going to almost seem like it falls away. And I know you all have experienced that. Like you're just walking with confidence and power This comes from us seeing Jesus for who he truly is. For us loving him and marveling at him. And as the scriptures tell us, to be still and know that he is God. How many of us as children just spend time with him? We just want to do nothing else but just get on our face and pray. Not as a list of dutiful prayer, but to just praise him. To just confess how amazing he is. As Scott prayed, the goodness of Christ. This will cause our hearts to wellow up, to swell with love and good deeds. But it is the case that in the midst of this, I don't want to leave this out, I don't want to leave anybody here feel like hopeless leaving, that Sometimes we rise from prayer and we have the most confidence and it can seem like you walk out the front door and boom, sin is right there seeking to hinder us. Seeking to hinder us. So I don't want to minimize sin, but I want you to leave today understanding that you truly have been made something new, that you truly are set free from its reigning tyrannical power. Philippians 2 gives us a good snapshot. This will lead us towards the end of our sermon here. A good snapshot of how we ought to walk out this Christian life as well. So as we abide in Jesus as the vine, the only one that can cause us to bear fruit, for apart from him we can do nothing. Absolute dependence upon Jesus. Philippians 2, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working, excuse me, God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good.
purpose. This verse is amazing because it really gives us that two-edged sword of the Christian life. Paul says, look, work out your salvation. The Christian life is also not about just floating down the lazy river, drinking flavorful fruit drinks, and just cruising into the kingdom of heaven. We have to work out our salvation. We do have to put sin to death. There's not enough time to dive into all these realities. We could spend years unpacking sermon after sermon on this subject But we do need to work out our salvation. We do need to rise and to consider that there is a battle, that this world is dark, that we need to press on pursuing Jesus. We need to be engaging with one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on in our Christian walk. But the good news here, if if Paul would have just wrote that first part of this verse, I would be despaired. I would be despaired. If all he wrote was, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have a good day. Right? That, I would be fearful. Like, man, I don't know. Am I going to make it? Am I going to get to the end? But the good news is that it is God who is working in us. God is working in each and every one of us, both to do his will and to do his work according to his good purpose. Maybe your Bible says pleasure. It's God's pleasure. It's his purpose that we follow through in making it to the end, in living a life that is pleasing to him and shining bright as a lamp in a dark world, as a tree that is tasteful and full of good fruit. So take heart, Christian, this morning. If you came into this room, if you came to church this morning and you, if you were just laying it all out there, would say, man, my life is a massive struggle Sin seems to be in the moment even like it is my master. I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like I am a new creation. I don't feel like God loves me, that I can bear good fruit. I want to just encourage you. That's just not true. It's just not true. And Paul gives this his final exhortation. Let us take this with us. Hebrews 12, 1 1 and 2 The author of Hebrews has been writing this letter to these Jewish Christians, and he's pointing them to Jesus as they are being confronted with the temptation to depart from him, to not continue on. And listen to what the author writes. He says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside or throw off every hindrance and the sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was laid up before him, he went to the cross, he despised the shame of it, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, be an Olympian, throw off every hindrance in your life. This might not be, this this isn't talking about sin here. There's just hindrances that we have as Christians that can lead us into sinning. Get rid of them. Simplify your life in Christ Jesus. One pastor, a Scottish pastor, he died at only 29, never married, loved the flock of God. His name is Robert Murray McShane. He had a small phrase that he lived his life by, and that was to have a simple focus. And what he meant by that was not selling everything he had and buying a tiny house, 
although if you want to do that, there is nothing wrong with that. But what he meant was keep your eyes set on the gospel, the realities of the kingdom of Jesus, and pursue Christ and let everything else ultimately fall away. We need to have our eyes set on Jesus, running when the endurance feels like we can't make it. We can't press on. We can't get to the finish line. Look up and see Jesus loving you completely. He's already accomplished it for you, for us. So a couple quick points, and then we will finish. Conclusion, know your gospel identity. Know your gospel identity as sanctified people. If you came in here thinking mostly about justification by faith, Leave here and keep thinking about that, but also start really thinking about the fact that you're a new creation in Christ. And also, treasure Christ. Treasure Christ. There's a good resource out there called Desiring God. A pastor for years has been just preaching on the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Treasure Christ. Delight yourself in him because he is the God of all hope. Romans 15, 13 says, I forgot it. <laughs> 15, 13. Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may overflow with all hope. And if you're here this morning and you do not believe in Christ, there might be even just one, I want to encourage you this morning to turn away from your sin. The darkness that is enslaving you, the tyrannical leader that will only take you to the pits of God's judgment for all eternity, to turn away from your sin, to flee your life of rebellion and to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. Cling to Christ this morning and believe upon him and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word again as the Apostle John wrote. He has no greater joy than to see that his little children are walking in the truth. Lord, as much as I delight and enjoy preaching and teaching your word, unless we're transformed by it, There's no other greater joy. Lord, let the word transform us this morning and take it with us as we leave and cultivate in us as we live every moment of this life for your glory. Thank you for rescuing us, Lord, that we truly have newness of life in Jesus Christ. Let us be filled with great hope and encouragement and comfort. And let us praise and make much of you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' great name, amen.